SeatGeek is the official sponsor of the Snake Sports Talk Show. With hundreds of events listed, live concerts, sporting events, and so much more, go on to SeatGeek.com, enter promo code Snake Sports Talk Show, and save yourself $20 off your first purchase. Live from Las Vegas, the Snake Sports Talk Show with Jake Silva starts right now. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Well, it is about that time again that we are live in the 702 on a spectacular Sunday. This is the Snake Sports Talk Show wherever and however you may be watching. All around the social media grid, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, and Instagram. That's where you can like, follow it. Five and hit the bell button for all the notifications. And of course, Ion, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, wherever you can find your podcast as well. That is where we'll be catching a lot of the show. Um, boy, All Star Weekend's been a really fun festivity. And of course, you know, the Pro Bowl and such. So there's so much to talk about. Ryan Finkelstein, I will have here on the show in about a couple minutes, but. We'll be talking a lot, talking about the New York Mets and um, several, several moves that are happening right now around in sports. And as we know, next Sunday, Super Bowl 57, we are geared up for it in Tempe, in Tempe, Arizona. So I am excited for what the Super Bowl will be. As you know, next, su- next week, Saturday, no show, but Sunday, we will definitely be there um, for my Super Bowl Prime predictions. I will have an entire upload, and you guys do not want to end up missing that. So I do want to get into this conversation because um, just Friday, you know, I'm checking out all of just, you know, other sports scoops and such, and it has been officially announced. Kyrie Irving wants out of Brooklyn. Well, boo-hoo. You don't think anybody would think that that itself is surprising news. We know Kyrie Irving is just one interesting individual. Okay, he did not end up taking the COVID vaccine. And we know during the times it was hurting a lot for the Brooklyn Nets because he was not available. And we know in New York, lots and lots of regulations and restrictions had been placed upon. I mean, every state that we know during the pandemic times all had different regulations. And we've been there. I mean, I, I've experienced that here in Vegas. And it was it was quite an experience, an experience I never want to end up going through again. But the thing you have to understand about Kyrie Irving is when it is, when we are in Kyrie Irving's world, and like it just all revolves around him. There is so much you know about Kyrie. Now, let's talk about Kyrie the player. First of all, he's got a beautiful shot. Plus two, he's able to nail down the threes. He's also got that signature step back of his, and not to mention two, really good ball distribution and knows exactly how to handle the ball. But he has to be the player 
to have the ball in his hands almost majority of the time. But he's an excellent finisher, knows how to get to the basket, and when you need a shot, whether it's on the three-point line or it's in the perimeter, that is where he'll be. But Kyrie, the person at times, would usually be his own worst enemy because of the fact of the entire COVID vaccine, which here's the thing. I get it. For people who've taken it or people who have not, it's obviously a pro-choice type topic. Whether you have or you have it, it's not going to change a thing. It's people's choices. But the fact of the matter is, is that Kyrie, in the way he ended up describing it and the way he went about his business is he's just that type. It's kind of cancerous. You never want something like that in the middle of your locker room or in the building. And the thing about it is Kyrie at times can be flaky. I mean, we know during the the tenure in Cleveland, before LeBron arrived, he was the number one overall pick. Plus, he was getting all these endorsement deals and was doing all the best he can for himself. But Cleveland was a mess. And we knew that since LeBron left to go to Miami, win two championships, and then potentially come back to where it all started in Akron. And LeBron is the only person who honestly could get to Kyrie Irving. Really shaped up his game. Really shaped up his maturity. So at that point, the both of them teamed up together with Kevin Love, with um, J.R. Smith, and several others that are on that roster. They made it into the finals in 15, lost, won, won it all the way in all seven games in 2016. LeBron said that was probably one of the best moments he's had. But after the championship, Kyrie wasn't the same person. He wanted to go and prove to himself that he is a true leader and a number one. I mean, he made this whole spiel about it. LeBron is just the kind of guy. He's not going to stand up in the way, not going to end up, you know, interfering with what Kyrie wanted to do. So Kyrie goes to Boston. I think it was an interesting move between him, Gordon Hayward, Al Horford, and the rest of the group. And then you had Jason Tatum and a young Jalen Brown. And then Gordon Hayward gets hurt. Later on, Kyrie gets hurt. But yet this emergence from Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum starts to happen. Austin feels like that, hey, if we could go and win ourselves a championship, do we truthfully need Kyrie? Once Kyrie came back the next year, after being in the Eastern Conference and missing those games, Kyrie served to be a liability. They got knocked out in the second round, and they were a talented team. Defensive, smart on shots, they knew how to uh, manage clock management, and that's how they were. But they got knocked out in the second round, and especially against Milwaukee, which we know Giannis is great, and it's a great defensive um, it's a great defensive-minded organization. But the fact of the matter was, is that Kyrie was all about himself. So instead, flakes out in Boston, goes to Brooklyn, says he wants to play with his best friend, Kevin Durant. Now things are really taking a turn for the worst. Because then you recruit James Harden, which we know James Harden, really good, um, really good shooter, and had basically put up as many points as he has during his tenure and his career. But then slowly is starting to erode. 
and Brooklyn majority of the time didn't even have all three of their of the same players on the court. Not all three of them. Only for a short tenure, and they never won a championship. Instead, it got Steve Nash out of the building. We all know about the um <laughs> we all know about what happened during that time and when Kyrie had visited uh Steve Nash and then all of a sudden it took a turn for the worst and Steve Nash now officially retired not even considering coaching which is fine I think Steve Nash is a great player and a real good coach I think it was just an unfortunate situation and it was a ticking time bob waiting to explode now because just the past off season Kevin Durant says he wants to request a trade I don't blame him because the fact that James Harden He's left out of the building. He's in Philadelphia taking at least a team-friendly deal to at the very least get the Sixers where they want to be as a championship-caliper team. It's going to take some time. They need more shooters, and they need to get more defensive and clock management also. But (laughs) Kevin Durant sees exactly all the turmoil that was happening all around Brooklyn. Now, Kyrie Irving wants out. Well, ain't that. Ain't that a coincidence. Only two teams that would be interested in Kyrie Irving would be the Dallas Mavericks and the, and the L.A. Lakers. Why the Lakers? Wouldn't you have guessed LeBron is there. The Lakers are desperate. They need to have shooters because right now all the reports are that the Utah Jazz are interested in Russell Westbrook. I feel like LeBron has total control throughout this whole narrative. I guarantee you he probably went on and made phone calls to a lot of people saying, hey, get this story out here that Utah's interested in in Russell Westbrook. We need to get Russ out out of L.A. And then goes, probably makes a phone call to Kyrie and says, hey, like, look, if you come on to L.A., we need you as a shooter. We need offense. We have myself and Anthony Davis. And plus two, Rui Hachimura. He's actually been playing really decent. But the Lakers are a desperate franchise now that they got to win. They can't just not win and become that irrelevant, expensive franchise. That's usually never, ever, ever how a franchise like the Lakers or the Celtics or any of them that are high-priced are like. Now, we know Boston is a great defensive team, and they have their chemistry. They have exactly their agenda. But the Lakers are desperate for shooters. They do not have enough. And Westbrook serves to be a liability. Now, right now, he's playing pretty good. That's why his price tag is where it's at. And Utah, Danny Ainge, he's got a truckload full of draft capital after shipping off Rudy Gobert to uh, Minnesota and then shipping off Donovan Mitchell to Cleveland. So you could finagle this whole thing. And you could get Westbrook out. You could potentially get Kyrie in. But do the Lakers really truthfully want to bring Kyrie Irving into the organization? And that's where I think LeBron has had personal talks with Jeannie Buss and possibly with Rob Palenka about this whole thing. Like, look, I'm doing my part. I'm trying to recruit. But we know LeBron was the same person who recruited Russell Westbrook. I don't know. I... I, I just think this whole subject with Kyrie Irving, like everybody's gone mad. Everybody's gone mad on Twitter. Everybody has gone mad on all social medias. They've gone mad even in, uh, you know, uh, 
in radio television. And it's, I think it's entertaining as all hell, but it's kind of silly because we all know what Kyrie Irving is as the player and as the person. Do I want to surround my franchise with Kyrie? Absolutely. 110% not. And I mean, look, your personal um, interests and all of what you believe in is your own. I'm not going to dispute that. But all I know is, is that if it does not involve basketball, I'm not going to end up, you know, putting that around that atmosphere in my franchise. I just will not do it. I want to have guys that are dedicated 110% that are willing to work, who are defensive and offensive minded. The guys who, who really gel around each other with as far as chemistry. And it is one of those hard topics the Lakers have to deal with. The Mavericks, I mean, I don't know if Mark Cuban really is going to spend that money to do that. Now, I know Luka needs more people. It's mostly because it's, it's just been a one-man show for Luka Doncic. But I know both those players, you have got to have the ball in their hands majority of the time. I don't see that working well. I know both of them. They're very vocal. Luca is probably going to be one that's going to be really heated, but you got to make this work in any way possible. But I have a feeling that it's a desperation move for the Lakers. They've got to get shooters. They've got to have somebody that is willing to make the shots, put more time on the court, and at the very least, get Westbrook out. You have an opportunity. You had an opportunity when he was up on fire, and then you just decided to kind of stall on it. But that's all. That was all the Lakers organization, all from there. All right. So we're shifting on to Major League Baseball. We know this offseason's been pretty, pretty interesting, yet a lot of fun. And so joining me talking all about it with the New York Mets via the Global Satellite Network presented by StreamYard, Ryan Finkelstein. All right, Ryan. Um, last year the Mets were said to be they were going to be a threat throughout the entire season and then moving into the postseason so the uh-huh. wins over a hundred games now I think it's an impressive roster I really do um I think the only thing that they really needed to figure out is probably third base they haven't been able to address that for the last couple seasons since David Wright's retirement now I get it um and then all of a sudden, the embarrassment in the postseason. I know it's left a lot of Mets fans pretty salty. I get it. So this offseason, how impressed were you? Now, I know new ownership with Steve Cohen. That man's aggressive. He's not afraid to spend money. And he wants to win this championship with this Mets organization. How impressed have you been during this offseason with the Mets? Well, basically, if anything else, they're the same team as last year. That, that's where we start with when I look at this Mets team, right? Mm-hmm. You you go into a list and you have to rebuild a bullpen. All you have is Drew Smith on your roster. Everyone else is a free agent. You have to look at your rotation. You're losing DeGrom, Taiwan Walker, Chris Bassett, maybe Carrasco. They pick up the option. Mm-hmm. They addressed all those needs, and I think they got some players that can kind of move the need a little bit further. You bring in Kodai Senga. I think Justin Verlander, Jacob DeGrom, it's kind of a – you go into the season, you feel better about Verlander in the regular season, and – you just didn't know what you were going to get with DeGrom. So the combination of the two, Kodai Senga's upside, Justin Verlander's consistency, you like that a little bit better than DeGrom, Chris Bassett. They bring back Brandon Nimmo. They bring back Edwin Diaz. They extend Jeff McNeil. Like As a Mets fan, 
there's really nothing to complain about at this point. Obviously, if they get Carlos Correa and that whole saga doesn't happen, you're like, oh, this is the best team in baseball now. Like, oh, my God. But even without that, they got Eduardo Escobar at third base. He's solid. And Brett Beatty, a prospect coming up. Like, the Mets are going into this season in a good position to contend with the Braves. And, and I think they're going to be one of the favorites in the NL for sure. So Justin Furlander, you signed him for at least a couple years. He reunites with Max Scherzer. We've all yeah. seen that rotation in Detroit. How big of an impact will that be in the rotation, knowing that you're moving off Jacob deGrom, you're moving on from Taiwan Walker? Um, I mean, this is more of just, you know, high expectation. They've got to be able to, you know, bring it night in, night out, and they've got to be able to keep the stabilizing um, battery for this rotation, right? Yeah, well, you look at last year, and they thought they were going to have DeGrom and Scherzer for 60 starts. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, Scherzer was just over 20. DeGrom was like 11. So you didn't get that. I think you expect that with Verlander and Scherzer, you're going to get a little bit more. And also with those two guys, at last year, I think every time they both started, they would pass each other on the active career strikeout list. So you're going to get to see them now do that head-to-head. -head. I think that they're going to bring out some competitive fire in each other where you have two guys that have been doing it forever, first ballot Hall of Famers. Who, what else do you have to compete for in the regular season? You want to get your team there. Now they kind of compete head-to-head -head in the same rotation. I think that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I think it's kind of gone a little bit you know, underrated this offseason because other big names kind of went and Verlander happened so early. That's a massive addition for the Mets. Yeah, and I look at this Mets team because <clears throat> they always seem like they're the close but yet no cigar type team because I love the rotation. I also do like a bit of their bullpen because there are a couple guys that I think are real good situational guys. We love watching Edwin Diaz go and close out games. I think he's finally found his comfortability, which is what Mets fans been waiting for. Um, but the other thing is, too, <clears throat> what concerned me. So here's what I will say. So the Mets, they haven't been in the World Series since 2015. And we all know how that team was. Very interesting offensively, but when they caught on fire, they were unstoppable. And since that time, the offense at times seemed like it was getting flat. Here we go. We're bringing in Francisco Lindor. We're bringing in different names. Um, what are you seeing from this at least from this roster and in this lineup, from everybody from top to bottom, does it seem like this could be a promising lineup that is going to help the pitching rotation start scoring in more runs? Because I know part of that was a little their issue with situational play. I need a guy who's going to get me on base. I need a guy who's going to help me to drive in runs, especially when he's got to hit that right side, score them all in. Does this kind of look like this lineup is primed for something? or? Could they be booked into, you know, come the trade deadline? They may make an interesting move by then. So I think when you look at the Mets from last year, people kind of forget they were top five offensive baseball and run score and some of the advanced metrics. Like they're a team that doesn't play the loudest offensive game. They have a lot of guys that get on base. You know, you look at the lineup one through nine, the only like really big, big power bat is Pete Alonso. Now, Francisco Lindor, he had over 25 bombs last year, drove in over 100, but they don't have, you look at like a Phillies or some of these other teams, they have two or three guys in the middle lineup that you feel like can hit a home run at any time. The Mets don't have that, but they have a team that fields the ball really well defensively that, you know, gets on base at a good clip. And there's uh, not really a lot of holes in the lineup. They're a type of lineup that kind of grinds at bats one through nine, 
pass the baton, but they do need that extra piece. And I think they're hoping now because they weren't able to grab it in the offseason that one of the prospects can be that. They have Brett Beatty, Francisco Alvarez, two top 100 prospects. If either of them can kind of break through and maybe supplant uh, a Canna or an Escobar at third base and left field, if it's Beatty or Alvarez, you're talking about a catcher. So that's your hope and dream is you have Mike Piazza reincarnated. We have no idea if that's going to happen, but that's what you're dreaming on, right? So if one of those guys breaks through, I think they're fine. But also, if this is a team that is in contention at the deadline and a big name shows up, I think the Mets will be all in. And one of those prospects might be traded. Yeah, and I could tell you one thing because I remember the conversation last year where everybody was all thinking Wilson Contreras was going to be a big name who probably would have been a really good fit with this Mets organization. But I saw the pushback. They weren't going to get rid of Francisco Alvarez. They see too much tangibles from him that they don't want to make they want to make sure they secure him they don't trade him away because they know how big of a commodity he'll be when he officially gets in that Mets uniform um so speaking of that because now the Mets have Luisa Rise which was really interesting because uh, so now they just uh, the Marlins actually got a rise oh the oh the Marlins did oh okay yeah, I was like, for a split second, I'm like, okay, perfect. So then that opens then the question. So Francisco Alvarez comes in to the Mets organization. Um, and I think he's got a lot of really good stuff. He's got the kind of stuff where he's got a really good solid bat, could be really solid on offense, and somebody, too, that can really come in defensively that can help the Mets with um, their catcher situation because they've tried this with James McCann. McCann, real good player. But even times we'll be a little bit spotty in the offense. So how impactful will Francisco Alvarez be when he officially gets to uh, the Mets lineup? He'll be very impactful. Also, I think I'm connecting some dots in my head here. I think you were thinking of Omar Narvaez. Arise just got traded. Oh, yeah. So similar names. (laughs) I think that I was connecting the dots. So Luis Arise, uh, he just got traded from the Twins to the Marlins. That's why he's in my head recently. Uh, Nervais, they did sign one year deal club option. So, you know, he's kind of a stopgap. They got Nervais and Nito. Nervais left handed bat. So they're going to platoon them. And I think they're going to put Francisco Alvarez in AAA and make him earn the promotion. And I think when you have a player this talented, if he goes out in Syracuse and puts up big numbers in AAA, we're going to see him. And, and when we do see him, the, the biggest question, more so than the bat, well, it's kind of t- it's twofold. With the bat, last year we saw he get exposed a bit from high heat. If he can address that, I think he will. He'll be fine as a hitter. But then it's commanding a pitching staff at you know 21 that has two guys that are you know damn near half his age or double his age, excuse me. So I, I think that's the bigger question, but that's why they're putting him in Syracuse to start the season, let him catch every day, and get back on track. Yeah, and I think he's going to be – I think he's going to be a real good addition to this lineup and especially to you with you're right. You know, you got to have you got to be comfortable playing behind the plate and being able to commanding the pitching staff, because, of course, too, guys like um, Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer, they're going to communicate with you and they're going to tell you, look, this is stuff I throw. And if we ain't communicating well, this is where it becomes a problem. And then the the rotation kind of gets a little finagled. But um but hopefully when he does, I think it'll be really interesting because I know the Mets, they know he's a top prospect. They don't want to get rid of him, and they know they want him a part of this lineup. So um, interesting thing, but 
Uh, Michael Conforto, so he's no longer in the Mets organization. He takes a deal with the Giants. Um, we know the con- the the contract extension talks were a little bit spicy, at least from what it looked like. Um, so outfield, I know they've definitely got to address in some areas. Now they could definitely handle maybe almost like what, maybe about 80, if not a hundred games into the season, they could try to, at the very least, how they perform. They'll be really, really, um, they'll be solid at it. But at some point they're definitely going to need to look into upgrading a little more on the, uh, the outfield position. Have there been some guys in mind that you think the Mets might be, uh, might catch on their radar for the outfield? I think you look at the Mets outfield right now, and I think they feel pretty good about it because, <clears throat> excuse me, last year you had Mark Hanna, Brandon Nemo, Starling Marta. They all played pretty well. I think your question is, is Nimbo going to put together another healthy season? Marte, he's kind of missing about 40 games a pop at this point in his career as well. Can I think you trust is going to be out there, but he's at a point in his career where he gets on base, but he doesn't really do too much extra. So, they signed Tommy Pham as kind of that flyer for maybe that first 80, 100 games that you're talking about. Tommy Pham's a guy that in the past can you know give you some power and might be enough. They can always shift Jeff McNeil out to left field. So depending on how your season goes, if another infielder kind of pops for you, they have that flexibility. But it just depends. At the trade deadline, if they want to add a bat, I think the three places where I think they'd maybe slot that bat in, it's left field, it's third base, or it would be a DH. Yeah, and I know too, like during the um during the offseason, because third base was a big time uh question mark because you know they, we tried the experiment with JD Davis at the time. I mean, he he was a he was a good solid player, don't get me wrong, but there were times where defensively kind of was struggling in some areas. So that's where I thought with the Correa signing, it would have been interesting. You would have put Correa third, Lindor would have been familiarized with them because we both seen how they played in coming up soon, the World Baseball Classic, where they played in uh, Puerto Rico, and they were just comfortable with each other. But now, that's no longer the case. So it would be interesting to see them during the trade deadline, hopefully if they do potentially get somebody on there. Because I thought of a few names on third base that probably would have worked with this. We would have thought, well, do we really want to risk it bringing Justin Turner back to you know the Mets blue? That was a conversation. Um, now... I am curious because so the the Phillies were in the World Series last year against the Astros. The Braves, I think it was just it was just an unlucky kind of year for them. That now they played well, but they get eliminated and now they're going into next season. They're upgrading still more more pieces, but they still continue to be that pedigree of tough t- uh like just as a tough team in that division. The Mets have that opportunity to be that competition now because I think it's a three-team race from this point. Um, what do the Mets really have to do better for this year in the NL East? Because, honestly, the Marlins, are they're obviously reshaping themselves, and so are the Nationals. So it's only between the Braves, Phillies, and Mets. What do they need to focus more on in order for them to continue to compete and maybe potentially overlap both those teams? I think that you look at going into any season, you have a roster as complete as the Mets or the Braves. It's a little cliche to say it, but you're just trying to get your pitching through the season healthy. Now for the Mets, they got some depth arms that I think can come in and they can maybe be a six man rotation at some points to try to keep all those horses healthy to get you through the season. I look at this division 
And, you know, it's it's still the Braves division to lose. I think they're still the top team. But the Mets are right there. And we have to remember, while the Phillies made that run, they were still 14 games back in the division. I think the Phillies are as scary as any team in baseball in the playoffs. But I think that their roster is still just not quite there to make it through a full season and, and win this division. But I think all three of these teams make the playoffs. And once there, as we just saw, anything can happen. So for the Mets, get yourself in a good position come October. Get yourself that bye win the division. Um, and I think it's it's mostly about staying healthy and it's hoping that some of these prospects can actually kind of move the needle for them if they don't have to go out and make that move. Yeah, and I know too, like, you know, and it's just insane to me because I've always recalled like with the Braves and I'm impressed with the fact that they've even gotten this far because we all remembered the uh, the punishment they took years ago where they lost some picks, they lost a couple of players, but they still retain guys like Ronald Acuna and the rest of them. And John Hart, I mean, he's a very impressive general manager. I mean, a guy that really has made those moves to where the Braves are where they are. They're continuing to compete. They're continuing to be the tough team. And then, yeah, the Phillies, I mean, they fired Joe Girardi. And then all of a sudden, they start to catch fire. But I've always been like, why are they putting Kyle Schorber at leadoff? He is not a leadoff hitter. Now, Trey Turner goes, and he's potentially the leadoff guy. So. There's so much to be excited about with this division and just the race of it itself, which is kind of, I just think that with those three teams, I kind of feel that too. These three teams may end up making the postseason because now with the added extra spot now in the postseason, that's going to now bring some positive hopes to a bunch of competitive teams. Um, Steve Cohen and, you know, take me back to the time when he did purchase this franchise because He's bringing in a different mentality now with this Mets organization. And we've all known throughout the years, Mets wouldn't really go out and spend the money that they would on potential players that could help to get this team over the hump and get them back to the World Series back in 15. Um, Cohen's just a completely different guy. He's got all the money in the world that he's not afraid to spend. I think he's a pretty aggressive owner. And I do think that he's somebody that his agenda is he wants to see this team win a world series this bad right absolutely and i think that the perfect example is the whole carlos correa saga that didn't even go the mets way but it's bringing opportunities to the table that the previous ownership never could so steve cohen's on vacation in hawaii and scott boris calls him up and says yeah i'll give him a 300 million dollar contract basically sight unseen what did that give the mets it gave them kind of first looks at look at everything and almost exclusive rights to negotiate with them. It didn't pan out, but that's what having an owner like this does. He is putting money, not just in the payroll, but I think the Mets are going to start to develop players better because there's so much more money being poured into technology on that front. They're going to scout better. It, it really does go top to bottom. And it, it wasn't, it was never going to be a quick fix, right? You're, you're inheriting a team that kind of cut corners financially at every turn. It was never going to be a one-year thing. But now you're entering year three. I think we're going to start to see the Mets kind of become a machine here because in Steve Cohen's mind, he's he's almost too big to fail, right? And mm-hmm. when you have that much money in sports, I mean, look at the Clippers, right, in, in the NBA. They're always still competitive now. You might not be getting exactly what you want out of Kawhi each season as far as health, but you know they're still finding a way because money's being poured everywhere. Um, I think the Mets at some point will get over the hump pretty soon here yeah and it it is interesting but yeah it's great to have an owner like that and 
I know with the baseball market, because there's a no salary cap league, you know, and, and that's one of the toughest because every other team, and we know this big name brands like the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Mets, the Braves, and the Astros, they all know how to spend money. And some of them, they're very smart when it comes to which players do I really want to have on this roster? Can I work with some of them that are in the farm system? And then they just find this balance. That's why I think, you know, the we all know everybody's got a target on the Astros because they bring up so much good talent from their farm system and even those they acquire in free agency. But it's like they are definitely the team to beat. But um, so three players, if you can name me some, because there are going to be some high expectations with the Mets. Are there uh, three players that are on the top of your mind for this next season that you know they've got to step up in big ways, either offensively or defensively, even for pitching as well? Quality innings. Give me quality strikeouts and get us into positions where we can keep a lead or take a lead and get momentum shifts. Um, are there three in mind that you kind of see there's going to be high expectations for and ones that the Mets are possibly going to have to lean on. Yeah. I mean, it's tough to narrow it down to just three, but I think I'll start with who I still believe is the Mets best player. And that's Francisco Lindor. Uh, you know, the season he had last year, you, you finally understood the potential uh, of, of why you go out and acquire a guy like that. I think he's proven he's going to be worth the money and, you know, he needs to have a big, big season. And then I kind of give you two underrated guys here. For one, it's Brett Beatty, who I've mentioned. I really think that he is going to be up at the big leagues sooner than later. He's going to be taking at-bats away from some veterans that they haven't got quite enough of, and Eduardo Escobar and maybe Mark Hanna. So you bring in Beatty, I think he can really move the needle. And the last one is Kodai Senga. We have no idea uh, what he's going to be, but he's a guy that comes with a pitch dub, the ghost fork. In, in Japan, he touched 101. We'll see what he looks like, but... If he's the real deal and you have a three-headed monster atop your rotation, that's going to take the Mets to a whole other level. Man, such exciting stuff. That's why I'm like, you know, with all of what the Mets have done, because they, they've they been aggressive all throughout this offseason. They want to be better than what they were last year. And, you know, they're similar blueprints. They, you know, they've got, their, they've got their footprints all around this puppy. And I'm just excited to see. Hopefully they will get over that hump and through that three team race, this, this division is going to be something special to watch. Um, so we know world baseball classic is right around the corner. I love this time of year because of the fact, and this is, this is exciting because we're coming off the year, the world cup we had, and now we're here with the world baseball classic. I mean, um, your thoughts on it, because I know that there's going to be a bunch of teams that are going to be pretty aggressive. And this year, Unlike any of the other years we've watched the World Baseball Classic, this just seems like it's just almost so stacked for every single country now with a lot of the player potential. I think internationally, they have been getting better and better and better, and we're finding hitting gem talents all the way around. Um, how do you kind of see this World Baseball Classic really panning out this year? Because I am all in on the train for U.S. to go back to back, but there are some teams that we know, Dominican Republic, uh, Puerto Rico and some teams, they want to now start to really move themselves into potentially winning the cup. It's, it's awesome, man. I mean, I, I think the world's kind of getting smaller in sports. We're seeing it in, across the board, you know, the, the players in the NBA and everything else. So 
Yeah, you watch the World Bowl Classic now. You look at every single roster, like you said, like Team Israel is like low key stacked. I mean, it's crazy. It's 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 across the board. So uh, obviously, we're, we're going to be pulling for Team USA, but at the same time, as a baseball fan, you know, I, I work at just baseball. We're going to do roster previews for each team um, and even a power ranking. And I'm just excited to watch great baseball. And I think I'll find out who I'm really pulling for as far as what team is the most fun to watch as the tournament goes on. I remember last year it was hard not to love or last time it was hard not to love like Puerto Rico. And, and especially now as, as a Mets fan to have Lindor on the team, you just kind of look around the sport or around the, around the tournament and there's players from all over the place. Uh, so it's going to be an absolute blast and it's going to really kick like right into the season in a, in a good way as well. And this is the year we finally see Bryce Harper, Mike Trout, Nolan Arenado all on the same field. And we've got Pete Alonzo in there. Don't want to forget about him because I think this is going to be a mixture of really good, strong bats, guys that really do hit for power. But I am kind of interested to see how this rotation works for Team USA. I think this will be fun to watch. But I mean, the 13, like the, you know, the, uh, the 17 team. I mean, it was really stacked. They were all the way around, and they knew how to really navigate past a lot of different situational plays. So hopefully this will be the same um, mentality they go into this year, but I'm excited to see how Team USA really do pan out at, uh, at the end of the year. All righty, Ryan, I appreciate you coming on by. Where can people find you to finding everything New York Mets? So you can find me on Twitter at Finkelstein Ryan. You can find Locked On Mets on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. All right. Appreciate your time, Ryan. Have a great rest of the weekend. We know All-Star break is going to be closing up and things are going to get serious in the second half of the season. But for you and I, baseball season's right around the corner and we can't wait to see how the Mets will perform out this next year. Appreciate your time. Have a great weekend and take care of yourself, my friend. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that the Mets this year, they are really going to start making some noise. And the only thing that I think about with this, with at the very least, this rotation and this lineup. I mean, it's really good. Um, yeah, Omar Navias is what I meant to say rather than Luis Arise. Um, but um, but at least they have a serviceable guy with uh with Nervias there. I was it was an interesting um signing, but I think that's part of the reason because with Francisco Alvarez gonna be coming up in the minor leagues, he's gonna be ready to get going. And I think also possibly the team will very much they i mean they got to get past that hump they won over 100 games they lost in the first round of the postseason but there's so much that you can honestly like about this this Mets roster and i think Steve Cohen because of his aggressive mindset he's really put together a really really good um just a really good tandem of some guys and so i'm interested to see how the rest of this year really will be but, but again, <clears throat> I think it'll be great. I think this year it it is a three team race. It's what I mentioned before. The Braves are getting stacked up. The Phillies right now they want to get back into the postseason and they've got unfinished business. And then the Mets they want to do whatever it takes to get themselves back in the World Series since 2015. So, all right, we're going to be taking a short break from here. When we come back, there's so much we've got to talk about. Obviously, with um as I pull it up from here, but there's a lot, like, like I said about the Kyrie Irving situation, I, I am just, I've never really been a fan of Kyrie and I know exactly what his style of play is. 
And again, it's good. It's really, really good. But I think it'll be interesting. We'll be talking a lot about the trade deadline destinations. Plus two, Bo Horvat officially a New York Islander. We know the trade deadline for the NHL is coming up soon. And there's going to be a bunch of teams. They're going to be going to they're going to be aggressive. We talked with uh, two of them yesterday with the Avalanche and the Stars. There are going to be teams that are going to want to finagle some moves, and we'll see exactly if they got the money in the cap to do so. All righty, folks. Well, as we've said before, so the exciting news um, for all of us here on the Snake Sports Talk Show is now we are officially partnered with the big app that gives you all of the best in best class seating. That is SeatGeek. If you cannot find your seat or you're having trouble finding great prices on all things you enjoy, live sporting events, live concerts, even um, stand-up shows or even just, you know, <laughs> orchestra shows, whatever the case may be, SeatGeek has you covered with all of the best prices in tickets and, of course, finding your best seats to get the best seat in the house and to enjoy what you love most. And so with SeatGeek now a partnered with the Snake Sports Talk Show, your promo code here is Snake Sports, and you get to save $20 off of your first purchase with SeatGeek. So don't delay. Got a show? Got a sporting event you got to get to? Can't seem to find the seat at the right price? SeatGeek's got you covered. SeatGeek.com, promo code Snake Sports. That's SeatGeek.com, promo code Snake Sports. SeatGeek is the official sponsor of the Snake Sports Talk Show. With hundreds of events listed, live concerts, sporting events, and so much more, go on to SeatGeek.com, enter promo code Snake Sports Talk Show, and save yourself $20 off your first.
Good to have you guys on here on a Sunday. Jake Silva back on here with the Snake Sports Talk Show. Yeah, there there is just so much really that I just make into speculation with the NBA. So trade deadline is February 9th. That's where we've got, you know, potential moves. Like we said, the whole Kyrie Irving deal, um, <clears throat> you know, and then, of course, the Utah Jazz um, in serious talks with possibly acquiring uh, Russell Westbrook. I don't know if that truthfully is the real deal, in my opinion. I just feel like that there is so much that's happening right now with the NBA. Um, and as far as... <clears throat> And as far as everything goes with a lot of the teams right now, um, so now the rumored reports are is that the Clippers have apparently joined trade talks for Nets Kyrie Irving and the Clippers are up, are up and on it. But the only thing is, is that, look, Steve Ballmer has all the money in the world that he could possibly spend on for the Clippers. But here's the issue. John Wall's hurt again. Um, Kyrie or Kawhi Leonard, he's non-vocal. He's not, he's not exactly the vocal leader that you could possibly build your organization around. And if you looked at Kai, if you looked at Kawhi and just his track record, when he was with the Spurs, all the leaders were Mono Ginobili, Tim Duncan, and Tony Parker. And it was an entire defensive pedigree under Greg Popovich. Um one of the things that I think is interesting about it was, you know, the Spurs, they were willing to, at the very least, keep on Kawhi Leonard for quite some time. But instead, a lot of the load management and all the injury stuff, it's kept him away for, for, for a long, long time. And he's non-vocal. I don't know how long that the Clippers could honestly last with this deal. At first, I thought it was going to be something that the Clippers could get over the hump at. But they're still continuing to be the same old Clippers team where they just collapse. And they don't even have a strong point guard. So that's why I'm like, I understand with the Kyrie Irving thing. I just don't think anybody would ever want to get into business with him. But if you're Steve Ballmer and you're needing a point guard and you're needing somebody to, at the very least, level out the playing field, do something about what this team needs to do, then. You voice out every option, but this is just one of those, it's one of those things, the Clippers, they, they, they lost a lot of pieces. And then there's talks about potentially bringing back Pat Beverly or whatnot, but the Clippers just need more juice. They don't have that right now. And with John Wall hurt, which John Wall gets hurt almost all the time. and this just isn't working for the Clippers. So they have to be able to make some sort of moves. But, <clears throat> but the Kyrie Irving deal, Clippers, Mavericks, and the Lakers right now are kind of the three teams that are interested in that. Lakers are a dis they are very much a desperate franchise right now who needs shooters because you're not getting that with Westbrook. And they are trying to get Westbrook out of the building. LeBron was the same person who recruited Westbrook. That's why with the Kyrie Irving thing, like he's gonna, he's the only person that could literally talk with him 
and really come to sense. We know Kyrie has a lot of personal issues from his background. We know that. I'm not going to dig deep into it. But every single one of the stuff that Kyrie Irving is basically made. Now, as the player, really good ball distributor. Um, he's good at his shots, whether I need one in the perimeter or I need somewhere on the wing to, at the very least, control the lead or gain the lead and then control the clock. So, and the Lakers, right now, Rui's looking really good. So there's potentiality where the Lakers could revive themselves to where the Western Conference, it's a little more open, but I know the Warriors, they are still the team to beat. And we know that they've got a ton of veterans, but they want to pretend, they want to win now again before they have to go into talks of, now what do we do for our future? So we know the Warriors are in that talk, but in the Eastern Conference, what are you going to do against Milwaukee and potentially against Boston? It's not going to it's really not going to help your case. So I just think that the Nets it's why I vo- it's why I vocalized and I voiced about it with Kevin Durant and why it was just that kind of point that they j- like Kevin Durant needed to leave Brooklyn. I don't know why he's still there because I think this is just kind of damaging a little bit more of just his reputation and his legacy behind all of that. Now, I know a lot of people will tell me one thing. Legacy is not everything, and I know that. But the other part of it is, is Kevin Durant is so damn talented that the next thing you want is you want him to waste away his talent. And I know part of that was that was his own decision-making. He wanted to play with his best friend, Kyrie Irving. I don't think there's any beef between two, the both of them. I think part of that is, is that Kevin wanted out of Brooklyn for his own reasons. Kyrie now wants out of Brooklyn for his own reasons. And now I know part of this was it was contract extension talks. Things got heated. Now they tried to do this last year, didn't work. Tried to do it this year, now he's absolutely heated. And I think part of that is, is you got to get him out of the building. I think that's what the Nets are really focused on. So I'm interested to see exactly how that all pans out. So um, I did talk about the Western Conference for the NHL as far as teams that are buyers or sellers. So the New York Islanders, they had ended up acquiring Bo Horvat in exchange for Anthony Bavillier. So there is a lot that you could literally break down and really dissect throughout the rest of the season. So I look at the Western, like I looked at the Western Conference. Right now, Seattle is leading the Pacific with the Kings and the Golden Knights. And Dallas, we just had uh, Dane Lewis on yesterday and was potentially saying that they could potentially be buyers. They got to get some guys that are offensive. They got to get a top six winger. They got to get at least somebody that's able to stabilize that offense because right now, not a whole lot of communication when it comes to Tyler Sagan on the second line. So Dallas, Winnipeg, Minnesota, and then there's Edmonton and Colorado. So we know Colorado's just absolutely stacked. But the teams that are literally outside looking in where you've got Calgary and Nashville, those are the only two teams. St. Louis, they kind of just kicked the tires this year. And that's why, you know, Ryan O'Reilly, he's been a big talk. It's hard to move off of a guy like that. Now, I don't know, and the, and the trade deadline will be interesting to see. Because there's going to be a bunch of offensive guys they're going to want to move out. 
But I do think that because of where the Islanders are, they're only about a few games away from the wild card. They're only about two points out. So, and you got Washington and Pittsburgh, that's there. Carolina, New Jersey, and the Rangers are the ones who are leading that uh, Metropolitan Division. And then there's Boston, Toronto, and Tampa. So, those teams from there, only ones outside looking in, Buffalo, the Islanders, and then Florida. Buffalo is trying so desperately. They are literally, they are literally living the moment like the Seattle Mariners. They really are. They are trying to break away from what they have been for the last few years. And Tage Thompson is something special. You're getting the best out of him. You're getting the best out of uh, Alex Tuck. I think Peyton Krebs, he's another one that's going to be really good. But the goaltending has been a lot better. But Buffalo, I know, wants to get over that hump. And we've been watching this now for the last few years. So I think the Islanders, because they needed to fill in the hole that was left out by Jordan Eberle ever since he went in, uh, on the expansion draft to the Seattle uh, Kraken. Now, one of the big things about the Islanders, Eli Sorokin's having a real good year. They've got to get the best for him. And offensively, everybody has got to gel. That's why I think Bo Horvat really does work in this organization because he's somebody that, you know, former captain, somebody that's a really good puck distributor and somebody that could really, um, you know, spark up an offense because they've got real good pieces. Brock Nelson, Josh Bailey, um, JG Paggio. So there are a bunch of possibilities that the Islanders could be very interesting this year. Now we know they moved off Barry Trotz this offseason. They got a new coach but they are outside looking in. I feel like the Islanders, because of the move, they may not be done, but they certainly want to creep their ways back into the playoffs to where they could potentially become a threat in the middle of it. So lots and lots to look forward to. But um, so as I've said before, so we've got five minutes left before we end up jumping off. Um, So I'm going to take a look at the Eastern Conference now with as far as the teams outside looking in. So looking at trade deadline moves. So let's start with the um, the New Jersey Devils. So the Devils, are they buyers or sellers? I think the Devils right now, very young, very interesting team. They could potentially be buyers to get themselves a veteran in the offense because Jack Hughes, um, you know, Jesper Brat and... Several others on this roster. They have been impressive this year. Plus, too, don't forget, Dougie Hamilton, really good on the defensive side of the puck. But they really have been figuring out their goaltending situation, which is now finally set and established. Now, they could go and get themselves a real good veteran, but I think Devils, probably an interesting team to see. And I think potentially, you're going to watch them. They, they could be on my radar of really interesting teams going into the Stanley Cup playoffs that could be a threat. They could be, they could get past that first round, but I think the second round, that is where things get really, really serious. I don't know if they can get that far, but they'll be an interesting team to watch. Buffalo Sabres, buyers or sellers? I think Buffalo has to be on that train of buying this year because Buffalo's got plenty of money to finagle with and not only that, 
but we know they've had an awful lot of draft capital. That's why the Sabres this year, Tage Thompson's looked really, really good. They found their offense. And uh, by the way, Linus Allmark, I know they, they sent him away to Boston. And he is succeeding. But they fixed up their goaltending. It's solid, but it's not as great. But several others, they could be looking for maybe adding offense or defense at this point. Because I think Rasmus Dahlin, he's finally arrived. He's finally looking like that top pick. Um, and several others right now on this roster. It's young. Alex Tuck's playing really, really good. And there is so much you can like about Buffalo. I'm pulling for them to, at the very least, get into the playoffs. Because I always love a great story. And I know Buffalo has not been that team since, I don't know, Dominic Hashikir's. Maybe even, maybe even re- more recent, but Buffalo just has been that tire fire for quite some time. That's why Eichel needed out of, you know, needed out of Buffalo. They got him out. They got picks. They got players. So, I think potentially the Buffalo Sabers could be buyers for a veteran. Um, the Montreal Canadiens buyers or sellers. The Canadians are clearly sellers. This is just a tire fire that's just been absolutely atrocious with Montreal. Now, I know they've been playing a year without Carey Price. Um, and this is <laughs> this just goes all the way back to my point, like I said, a few years ago when them, when them and the Golden Knights were playing in the conference final. It was embarrassing to see the Golden Knights lose in the fashion that they did because this team was not speedsters. They were not that fast. They were slow. They were wonky. And... They just took advantage of just the possibility. But there are lots of pieces in this Canadiens roster. Now, I know the the hard thing is injuries to Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield. That's tough. But you got to probably get some more draft capital or you got to get somebody that's going to be up and in the building. So I think Montreal, they're definitely sellers. Ottawa Senators, buyers or sellers. So... This is a tough one because they are 51 points in and they're only about six points out. I think Ottawa are, I think Ottawa is buyers. The reason I say that is because Ottawa needed something new. And they got Glodgeroo, they got Alex McBrickin. The only problem is there's not been a whole lot of consistency. Maybe they go and they reach out and they possibly talk with some teams to add some stability. Now, I think it might be tough, but I think Ottawa, <clears throat> Ottawa's going to be up into that position where they could possibly go and get themselves a piece where they can really gel and balance out this offense because we know that the offense hasn't been as great. But defensively, it's still young. So there are some things that Ottawa can do better. But I think at that point, you're going to see it for what it is. But I think, honestly, Ottawa... They are buyers. I kind of thought about this with them where because they're not going to be sellers. This is all brand new to them. So I think they'll be buyers, but maybe not even just in this trade deadline, but maybe in next year's offseason, they're probably going to address this. Uh, Washington Capitals, buyers or sellers? I think the Capitals are buyers. Capitals are very much the team that they stay consistent. Alex Ovechkin is just that team leader for them. But here's the other thing you got to also realize. They added in a bunch of pieces. Sonny Milano got himself a three-year extension. Um, several other players on this roster. One more got extended. 
So they are starting to think a little bit of that future. But as I've said, I think goaltending is still a question mark to me for the Capitals. But both them and the Pittsburgh Penguins, they are both the teams that are kind of lurking in. They're hanging on by a thread. But Washington, I can see them being potential buyers and moving forward. And who knows? I mean, the Capitals, they're not the same team as they once were when they won the Stanley Cup final. But they've always been that team that's always punched in their ticket in the postseason. They are not the kind that they missed. They missed the Stanley Cup playoffs. And then what do you do about the entire uh, the entire main core of this roster? I mean, you got to do something about it. Uh, finally, the Florida Panthers, buyers or sellers. I think the Panthers, it's hard for me to say this because of the fact of they're, they're kind of money stretched, but I'm going to put them on hold because <clears throat> we know right now Matthew Kachuk, he's been playing real good them but has had some tough stretches um alexander barkov you know he's gonna want to get over that hump and sergey Bobrovsky, he had a real good year last year then fell apart into the second round of the playoffs once they met Tampa defensively still has some question marks in my mind but florida not far away as much because you've got buffalo and you've got the islanders in front of you with Pittsburgh and Washington in that conversation. So I think I, I'm going to put Florida on hold, but this will be interesting to see how the rest of them go. And then finally, Columbus, Columbus, they're definitely sellers. There's no question that, you know, right now the Blue Jackets, they're just kind of the team that wants to acquire more draft capital. They want to get themselves more cap spaces so that that way they can purchase a lot of top talent, but there are some guys that could be up on the, on the move. So, um, but I think that's what you're going to be getting from here on the trade deadline. So that's what I have set in stone so far. So I think New Jersey are buyers. The Islanders, they I, I don't think they're done yet after they got Bo Horvat. They might be making a couple more moves. Buffalo are buyers. Um, Florida's on hold. Ottawa does want to buy. Um, Montreal and Columbus, they're clearly sellers. And then Washington, they want to be buyers. So those teams in the Eastern Conference, now I know also too, uh, Boston, they look like they're just fine. They are rolling along with the train. Linus Olmark was a big snag. He's been playing really good at goaltending. And the defense has been spectacular with the Bruins this year. So, and then Toronto, I don't know. I've even put them on hold. I think the Toronto Maple Leafs, because we know they have to be better than what they were the last, you know, the last year, and they could not even get past the next round in the playoffs. So this is this is interesting for me to look at. But I think the Eastern Conference, much like the Western Conference, it'll be a little bit interesting. But there are several moves that I look into, and I just see, I just know right off the bat, it's going to be interesting to watch them, and I cannot wait to see how trade deadline, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be nuts, but I do think there's going to be a lot in store for the second half of the season. All righty, folks. Well, this weekend has just been jam-packed. I've absolutely loved it all throughout this weekend. All-Star weekend is coming to a close. Got fire Chuck Fletcher. Of course, Philadelphia, they got to be able to, they got to really get a couple of GM in those of these games, but... That's going to do it for me. 
appreciate everybody who swung by on the show. Ryan Fickelstein, I shout out to him. Locked on Mets was great. Jane Lewis and, of course, Chris Caselli yesterday. We get a lot of really great content, guys. They know everything about their teams. That's why I love it. It's quality content. So, <clears throat> I appreciate everybody who has jumped on in. Appreciate everyone. And, of course, Big Fitz Talk Show now partnered with CP. You are missing this team. You want the best prices on tickets for your next event. High sports, um, concerts, and so much more. CP is the place for you. CP.com. Use the promo code SNEAKSPORTS. $20 off of your first purchase of your tickets. Appreciate everybody for jumping on by. Jake Silva signing off. We are not going to be on, on Saturday, but Sunday is where we lay it all on the line. Super Bowl 57, baby. Eagles against the Chiefs. I'm excited to see how the Super Bowl will be in Tiffany, Arizona. I will have a special prime prediction pick for you guys when we do air on on Sunday. So thank you all. Have a great rest of your week. And we'll see you on the next episode of the